Welcome to the Glenn McIntosh Show. I'm Glenn McIntosh, author, YouTuber, developer of transformational online programs you can do all over the world, and psychologist who is super passionate about eating, physical activity, weight, and body image. Please join me for inspiring conversations with world leaders as they share innovative ideas based on the latest scientific evidence and their rich personal experiences. We dive deep, exploring all of the subtleties so you understand exactly how to make peace with food, find joy in moving your body, embrace a positive body image, and generally just kill it at life. You'll also hear some podcastable parts of my Q&A video series, Thursday Therapy, and a bunch of other cool stuff I know you'll love. Whether you're tuning in for yourself or you're a health professional looking to better support those you serve, welcome to the Glenn McIntosh Show. This episode is brought to you by the Thin Sanity audiobook. After the success of the book book, so many people wanted it in audiobook form. I didn't realize how many people love audiobooks. A lot of people find it so much easier to get their reading in. You can listen to them in the car or when you're doing chores or while you're going for a walk. It's also a really private experience. I didn't realize this, but self-help books are often more popular in audiobook form because no one has to know what you're listening to. You don't necessarily want people on the bus or even in your own home knowing what you're working through. And some people just take in information better when they hear it. I've had a lot of people tell me this. Someone I spoke with last week struggled to get through to chapter three of the book in almost a year and has already finished the audiobook, even though it only came out last month. I've put my heart, mind and soul, as well as a lot of honey for my throat and unthinkable amounts of coffee into creating the most transformational audiobook for you reworking it so it works perfectly and seamlessly as an audiobook and is not just a book that's being read out loud. Some of the sections, like the one I'll share with you in a minute, and some of the meditations and visualizations where I actually take you through them just as I would a client, work even better in audiobook format. And the feedback from you guys has been just awesome. I actually think from what you're telling me that you're more pumped about the audiobook than about the book. And I just love hearing how it's benefiting you. It truly is a buzz that never gets old. If you'd like to download your copy of the Thin Sanity audiobook, which of course I would love you to do, you can head to my website, www.glennmackintosh.com insanity to see some of the more common places where you can get it or you can just go to your favorite audiobook publisher like audible apple books kobo or google play today and you will find my dulcet tones waiting there to help you free yourself from thin sanity and live the amazing life you are meant to live it's coming up to holiday time at the moment 
And I know that listening to the audiobook now will not only help you have a happier, healthier time where you're more relaxed about food and your weight, whatever you're doing, but it will also help you set yourself up on a new path for the new year. Holidays where you may get some time off work or even be lucky enough to go away somewhere are a natural time of reflection. I always start my personal development at this time of year as it's such a special time for mindset change. So I love the thought that as I'm mapping out my personal change, I can help you with yours too. But whenever you're listening, I hope you enjoy the Thin Sanity audiobook and please be in contact and share your stories of transformation with me when they happen because I just love hearing them. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. I hope you're staying safe and are dealing with this crazy time that's being presented to all of us. And today we're doing something a little different again on the podcast. I'm going to share with you a section of the audiobook. And as I've said, some of the sections of the book actually work better in audiobook format. But this one is one that's particularly special to me. To make a long story short, due to legal reasons, i.e. the BMI being backed by big business, I wasn't allowed to completely share my views about the BMI in the book. But if we health professionals can't tell you what we believe and what is based on good scientific evidence without fear of retribution by huge health companies, that doesn't leave us in a very good place. So I worked really hard and admittedly a little craftily to make it so that I could share the whole truth about the body mass index from its unexpected origins to its unethical manipulation by big business to turn a profit authentically and completely in the audiobook. In this section, I explore the creation and manipulation of BMI in a way that acknowledges the harmful effects of weight stigma. I suggest that we at least reinterpret BMI categories based on actual science, not paid for or company sponsored science. And I even ponder the very real possibility that we're all health professionals and clients alike ready to be free from it. Just a little note, this section does refer to a couple of diagrams in the supplementary materials, which are a crucial part of the audiobook. So if you want to see those, just head to www.glenmackintosh.com forward slash podcast and find the podcast from there. So here it is, without further ado, in the first podcast I've sent to you for a while, the unedited truth about the BMI lie. The BMI lie. I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, and you don't have to be either, because what I'm going to tell you is the world's most obvious conspiracy theory, one that somehow everyone seems to have missed. Prior to the 1980s, doctors would use height-weight charts to gauge body composition. 
This was pretty crude, as it didn't actually measure body composition, just height and weight. But acknowledging the anatomical reality that women naturally carry more body fat and less lean muscle than men, there was one chart for women and another for men. Around the 1980s, the body mass index, or BMI, became the measure of choice. The only difference between using weight and height and using the BMI is that the BMI is weight over height squared. All that happened was the squaring of the height. But why square it? Lambert Adolphe Jacques Quetlet was born in 1796. At age 19, he was teaching at the Ghent Lycée, where he received his doctoral dissertation in mathematics. Sharing the adventurous spirit of his father, he travelled to Brussels and set up an observatory where he studied various astronomical phenomena. Later in his career, he began exploring the application of maths to social phenomena. He statistically analysed the relationship between age and crime rates, measured soldiers' chest girths to establish norms, and, you guessed it, measured the relationship between weight, height, and health. The BMI was originally called the Quetlet Index. Adolphe was interested in the big picture, stars and planets, the Earth and large groups of people. He was a doctor of mathematics, not medicine, who himself stated that the index should never be used for assessing an individual's health, but only ever as a population measure. This means that whenever a doctor says you need to lose weight based on your BMI, a little lie is being told. BMI lie number one. Philip James is a professor specialising in obesity and nutrition, among other things. He looks like your stereotypical university professor and speaks with an authoritative English accent. In the mid-1990s, he set up the International Obesity Task Force, IOTF, to alert the world about soaring levels of obesity and inform the World Health Organization on matters of weight and health. Following IOTF recommendations, the World Health Organization backed the worldwide lowering of BMI cutoffs to those we have today. Yes, that's right. The BMI categories were not always as low as they are now. The normal weight range moved from 20 to 27.8 to 18.5 to 24.9. Categories above the normal weight range were also established and named overweight and obese. By doing this, the IOTF made me fat. I am 175 centimetres tall and weigh about 80 kilograms. I'm pretty lean, right? Wrong. I have a BMI of 27. According to the current cutoffs, I'm overweight. My suggested weight range is 56.7 to 76.3 kilograms. Okay, I may be able to tone back the Sunday brekkies and get to the top of that range. But to get to the middle, where many of us want to be so we can feel normal, I may have to develop a tiny exercise addiction. And if I want to get to the lower end where we really want to be to create a buffer, I'll probably need a full-blown eating disorder. So let's look at why the IOTF called me fat. If we explore the IOTF funding structure, we find two-thirds of its funding came from two major drug companies. Not just any drug companies, but those which had the two biggest weight loss medications on the planet at the time. Roche, which had Xenical, 
and Abbott, which had reductal. It turns out it wasn't just me they made fat in the late 1990s, it was people the world over. In the United States alone, it's estimated they gained approximately 30 million potential new customers who suddenly became overweight overnight. That's not a bad way to create demand. Well played, Big Pharma. Well played. But the pharmaceutical industry didn't just want to win the game, they wanted to take the whole board. So they used known, and now controversial, experts to conduct studies that concluded positive findings for their weight loss drugs. This sponsored research is what we call a conflict of interest. It's the reason why my divorce lawyer can't also be my wife's divorce lawyer, and the reason why the World Health Organization's weight science is not so scientific. If this research isn't a conflict of interest, surely when experts combine it with promotional work for drug companies, it is. But it's not just the studies, and not just the promotion. It's also the powerfully emotive language and scare tactics used in their communications. In one address, within the first two minutes, an IOTF representative can be heard saying the words plump, round, fatter, explosion in the problem of obesity, and culminating in a phrase we've all heard before, the worldwide obesity epidemic. Apart from not ever being meant to measure your or my health, the fact that so many of us are told we are overweight for phony medical reasons is BMI lie number two. Amidst all the fear-mongering, something else almost goes unnoticed. The article where the term obesity epidemic was coined briefly acknowledged that women carry more body fat than men, and that BMI calculations could be made more appropriately, accounting for the differences. But, quote, In the interests of simplicity, the same BMI expression was used for both sexes. These words may seem a little innocuous, but it's the academic language of girls are supposed to be fatter than boys, but we'll just ignore that in the worldwide health guidelines. It's the weight equivalent of the Australian Fair Work Commission saying, women get paid less for the same work, but we'll just pretend they get paid the same because it's easier, okay? As a woman, have you ever been frustrated that your brother, husband or male friend seems to be leaner than you without even trying? That's because he's supposed to be. The problem isn't the difference in your body shapes, it's that you've been hoodwinked to believe the difference is a problem. This is BMI line number three, and it goes a long way towards explaining why 95% of my clients are women. This conspiracy theory is not as far out as a UFO sighting. It's not even as complicated as methane coming from too many cow's farts causing global warming. It's just that some big drug companies paid some people to spin some science in order to get more sales, and they pulled it off big time. But it's not just us who got hoodwinked. Our doctors did too. Doctors are generally great people. They're caring and smart, and they help you live longer. But since the first day of university, their training has been based on the BMI categories. So they assume that if you're in the overweight category, you're going to have health problems. If you're in the obese range, you're going to have big health problems. And if you're in one of those higher obese ranges, get the crash card. The clincher is that this is false too. Catherine Flegel is an epidemiologist. Epidemiologists study the determinants of health and disease in populations, shaping public health policy and the way health professionals practice. 
Catherine is a senior scientist at the US Center for Disease Control and Prevention's National Center for Health Statistics and is one of the most cited scientists in the field of obesity. Flegel and her colleagues realized that, although BMI categories were widely used, a systematic analysis of the relationship between BMI and health had not been conducted. They sought to understand it by doing a meta-analysis, which is a statistical analysis of available studies meeting a certain criteria for scientific quality. As is common in epidemiology, they used a measure called a hazard ratio, which is a measure of the likelihood that you will die at a given point in time as a result of being in one group versus another. Often, a baseline group is chosen for comparison with a hazard ratio of 1, If the comparison group has a higher hazard ratio, those in it are that much more likely to die as a result of being in that group. For example, in a drug trial, the hazard ratio of the placebo group may be 1. If the hazard ratio of the drug group is 2, people in that group are twice as likely to die as those in the placebo group, and you wouldn't want to take that drug. If the hazard ratio is 0.5, you are half as likely to die in the drug group, so it would be a good drug to take. In the Flegel study, the normal BMI was the baseline group. The results of the hazard ratios across BMI categories are as follows. Normal BMI, 20 to 24.9. Hazard ratio, 1. Overweight BMI, 25 to 29.9. Hazard ratio, 0.94. Obese BMI grade 1, 30 to 34.9, hazard ratio 0.95. Obese BMI grades 2 and 3, 35 plus, hazard ratio 1.29. To see these results, refer to figure 2 in the supplementary materials. Notice something interesting here. The risk of dying in the overweight category is 94% of the risk of dying in the normal category. That's less. That's what Catherine and her team concluded, writing that, quote, overweight was associated with significantly lower all-cause mortality. This means overweight people, on average, are less likely to die than people of normal weight. Surely this is not the case if you're obese, though. The obese category may be at a lower risk, too, at 95% the risk of someone who is in the normal weight category. But, with a slightly smaller difference, it was statistically determined that this finding could be due to chance. The researchers concluded, quote, grade 1 obesity overall was not associated with higher mortality. This means people in the first obese category are equally likely to die or live as those in the normal weight category. But the Worldwide Obesity Epidemic article said, It's not until you arrive at the higher grades of obesity, two and above, that BMI becomes associated with a higher risk of dying. With a hazard ratio of 1.29, people in these BMI ranges are, on average, 29% more likely to die than people in the normal weight group. That's not good, but it's far from call the crash card, especially when you consider the relative risk of being a smoker, for example, is 2.96, a 196% greater likelihood of dying compared with being a non-smoker. 
So it turns out the whole obesity epidemic thing is a bit sus. At the very least, we could use Catherine Flegel and her team's review to redefine the BMI categories as follows. The BMI range of 20 to 34.9 could become the normal weight category, or healthy weight category if we were to use a less stigmatising title. The BMI range of 35 to 39.9 could become the overweight category, or above a healthy weight category if we were to use a less stigmatising title. And the BMI range of 40 plus could become the obese category, or well above a healthy weight category if we were to choose a less stigmatising title. That's a bit different to what it currently looks like, isn't it? But even if we did this, we must remember our mate Adolf reminding us never to apply this population measure to ourselves as individuals. Were you tempted to try to figure out your BMI so you could see if you still needed to lose weight? It's easy to get caught up in the BMI lie. You may have also heard that due to rising obesity rates, and I feel like I can use that term with inverted commas now, kids these days are going to be the first generation to live shorter lives than their parents. This is also untrue. While as a population we have been getting heavier, we are actually living longer. This provides further evidence to dispute the fat equals death dogma. You may be saying to yourself, I know BMI is not accurate. I don't believe in it anyway, as many of my clients do. But saying something and feeling it deep down are different. And I believe we underestimate the effect BMI still has on the way we feel about ourselves. To my mind, the creation and manipulation of the BMI was the first institutionalised stigmatisation of people living in heavier bodies and underpins any desire we have to lose weight for medical reasons. And it turns out it's BS. Massive drug companies have used an interpretation of data they paid for so they could sell you drugs you may not need. And suddenly, everyone started thinking they were too fat. But you're not too fat. And regardless of your BMI, shape or size, this audiobook is for you. For many of us, the desire to lose weight is more about feeling comfortable in our own skin than health. So we will work on this in step two. And if you have specific health problems or quality of life concerns that you feel are weight related, we will address them in step three. But Enough doom and gloom about BMI because I actually have some really good news, but to tell it, I have to tell you one more story. The date with the doctors. You know those doctors you get upset with for bringing up your weight all the time? They're just as over it as you are. A couple of years ago, I was asked to talk with a group of doctors. I've presented for the Australian Medical Association and work with lots of doctors, so you wouldn't think a two-hour talk to a bunch of GPs on a Friday afternoon would be too much of a drama. But I have to tell you, I was sweating. You see, this event was put on by a drug company. Knowing what I know about drug companies, I'd somehow negotiated to do the talk without the customary pre-approval of the presentation. And because I must be a bit of a masochist, I decided I was going to talk with the doctors about BMI. Walking into the room, I could tell the interest wasn't at an all-time high. My hunch was confirmed when the organiser said, technically you have two hours, but the doctors have lunch for an hour, so you really only have one, and you probably have their attention for about 45 minutes. 
This I had already surmised by the half-finished glasses of red wine grasped in their hands. But over the course of our talk, something happened. The doctors started to exchange wine glasses for pens and paper. They leaned forward and began asking about the data, including Flegel's review. This suggests half of my patients can stop worrying about their weight, puzzled one doctor. And so can we, joked another. At the one hour mark, we were pulling out the actual studies and reviewing them. At two hours, the cleaners were vacuuming around us while we continued to have revelations, them about the weight science and me that they were listening. It was in those hours that it dawned on me that we are all ready for a change. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really loving the flexibility of being able to share all sorts of things with you on the podcast. Not only the interviews, but last time a webinar with our 12-month transformation participants, and now this. And I'll be looking forward to sharing lots more that I actually have already created, but just haven't had the time yet to share with you. And I want to re-invite you to download your copy of the Thin Sanity audiobook. At the end of the section, I talk about a new future that we're all ready for. And I want to help you create it. So if you're down for doing this with me, head to Audible, Apple Books, Kobo, Google Play, or wherever you get your audiobooks, because I'm there and I'm waiting for you. You can also head to www.glennmackintosh.com forward slash thinsanity, which will link you through to the most common places where you can grab the audiobook. But wherever you get it, happy listening. I know you'll absolutely love it and I'm super keen to hear how it helps you transform your mindset and say goodbye to dieting forever. Thanks so much for tuning into the Glenn McIntosh Show. I am yours in freeing ourselves from the matrix of health companies who just see us as dollar signs so we can actually determine a path forward that is right for us. And I'll look forward to seeing you really soon.